0: Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. Thank you for joining me today. If you're new to the Coach's Edge, thanks for checking us out. We're 50 plus episodes in on the Coach's Edge. Tons of great podcast episodes and guests that we've had for you to go back and check out. And on this episode, digging into the 1 3 1 defense, a deep dive, we are speaking with someone who a friend of mine called a guru, who's a guru or a wizard with the 1 3 1. Regardless, He's been coaching at Frankenmuth High School for 10 years going into his 11th year. He's won over 70% of his games while he's there. Coach Andrew Donovan, running the 1-3-1, his primary defense. He's had a lot of success with it. On this episode, taking our deep dive, we cover a lot of different areas with the 1-3-1. one 3 one of the things I like about the 1-3-1 is there's so many different ways to play it his version of the 131 really effective and it differs from the 131 that my team ran in high school differs from the 131 that we used when I was an assistant at Perrysburg High School and so you're going to get to hear about what his 131 defense looks like if you're trying to figure out if the 131 is a good defense for you to run you just want to learn more about it this is a great episode for you special thanks to coach Donovan for spending the time to speak with me. All right, let's get to the show. I'd like to welcome Coach Andrew Donovan to the Coach's Edge podcast. Coach, thanks for taking the time.
1: Thanks for having me, Coach.
0: I'm um, looking forward to talking some one three one defense. I have my my WNBA hoodie on. I got my, my Kobe coffee cup. I got a handful <laughs> of questions. I got my pen, paper, the notebook is ready to go. I'm ready to Learn about the one-three-one. Um, you've won over seventy percent of your games during your coaching career at Frank and Had a lot of success with this defense, so you're a great person for me to learn from. So why don't we start there? Why don't you give us a little bit of your background as a coach?
1: Yeah, appreciate that, coach. Um, so yeah, as you as you mentioned, I've been at Frank and This will be uh, be going into my eleventh season, hopefully, Lord willing, uh, coming up here. Um, before that. I was a a JV boys coach. I spent four years at Langsburg, which that's kind of my my Hope College connection. Uh, And one of the ways I got uh, familiar with uh, with you and your background, just uh, when I was at Langsburg, I uh, coach Mitchell, who's now Hope College's head coach, is definitely who I would consider to be my coaching mentor. So I spent four years coaching under him. Those were great, um, great years. And then before that, uh, I had a, a year of eighth grade at Um, where at my alma mater I went to Fowlerville High School in the Lansing area Um, and that was right out of college took a few years uh, and then then took a few years between that and Langsburg and then obviously right here to Frankenmuth so that's kind of my background I've always I've always been interested in coaching even when I was in high school and playing varsity I coached a fifth and sixth grade boys travel team Uh, there's just um, something about working with kids and uh, and seeing what they can accomplish uh, just really gets me fired up. So,
0: And obviously, you're a, you're a teacher, passion for the game, um, coaching, coaching the game since you were young. That's fantastic uh, stuff. And so we've never actually met in person. But for a right. year plus, <laughs> you've been a member of our online training program. You jumped into our Coach's Edge membership, which launched a couple of weeks ago. Before we get into the one three one, can you share just a little bit about how uh, that partnership has helped you as a coach?
1: Yeah, you bet. Well, like I like I mentioned in the intro, uh, the Hope College connection is probably the way I got familiar with your name, coach. And uh, so, you know, just um, I watched you play at USA. I remember. I actually remember watching your one of your teams. My my brother in law is from Freeland. I don't know if we've even talked about this. So uh watched you play a little bit in high school heard about your your college career and things from coach Mitchell and then you know being in this area for a while heard great things about your thumb pride camp uh or thumb pride camps excuse me that you'd run in the summer uh so uh and I just loved uh you know as you've continued to grow your business uh, I just think obviously you had the success as a player to show it um Uh, But I just love the way you, you break down the game in particular, you know, I think probably what I gravitated towards was uh, just the way you broke down uh, skill development, very simple. uh, And in my mind, very game focused, you know, I think, I think you and coach Trochak have talked about it. I mean, we can all go on Twitter right now and, and find trainers who are balancing on a Basu ball and picking up a cone and, you know, doing a lot of crazy stuff. And, most of us that have been around the game for a long time know that there's not a lot of that that translates to playing basketball, uh, but your stuff does. So it's been great for me that way. I've incorporated a lot of, and and I love the way that you break it down and everything is very clean. Uh, you know, even like your shooting program. I mean, that's uh, it's fantastic. So it's been good material that I've certainly incorporated in the way we teach and, uh, and think about skills and, and coach's edge so far is, uh, has been really cool. I'm I'm excited to see where, where this part of your business is going to go. I think it's going to be very successful.
0: I appreciate all the kind words and yeah, I'm really excited for the Coach's Edge uh, program to continue to develop and grow, help coaches uh, like yourself and in, in many areas. Obviously, skill development is is um, kind of my my foundation, um, but branching out into other areas as well is something that I'm really excited about providing yeah. with with yeah, our it's going be great. online membership. Um, so, getting into the focus of our our episode, the one-three-one defense. I'm going to start vague and get more specific as we get into uh, this episode. So, starting out for someone who's not familiar, or they're thinking about maybe this is a defense that I want to learn more about and possibly run. In a nutshell, how would you describe your one-three-one defense?
1: Uh, probably the the you know, you can play like any defense, uh, you can play it a lot of ways. Uh, so for ours, we've been playing it for a while and, and we can certainly adjust based on what we're seeing and, uh, you know, personnel of our opponents, uh, you know, through scouting and things like that. Um, but for us, I think the number one way I describe our one three one is disruptive. Uh, I think we try to, you know, to take the offense out of rhythm. Uh, you know, I mean, when you think what you want as a shooter, you want, you you know, you want to catch with room and range and you want to have good rhythm. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to take offense out of rhythm, both shooters and, uh, and ball handlers. Um, but I think it can be played a lot of ways and that's, you know, one of the things I like about it. Um, and I, uh, I don't know. I don't want to get to, I'll let you lead. I, you know, I was going to say, I think I probably, I probably got started on on the idea of zone. I was always a man coach, uh, but what led me to it is a little bit of the, you know, a little bit of the uniqueness. You'll see a lot of two, three, normally when you see zone, you'll, after that, you probably see more one, two, two. Uh, you don't see a lot of teams play one, three, one all that often. So there was this element of, uh, when we first started using it, we started using it to neutralize some size with a couple of league teams we were battling with. Uh, and then it's kind of just really, uh, built into, you know, a pillar for us essentially at this point.
0: And that's what it kind of leads me into the next question is if you're a coach and for you specifically, how did you get an idea of the one three one being the right defense for you and your program?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, so, and, and in many ways, it gets into probably what I would call, you know, every coach's decision as to why they do what they do. Right? There's always trade-offs, uh, and and things that you want to consider and factor in when you're when you're choosing something like that. Uh, for us, I think probably the reason I started pursuing it was uh, I really don't love two three. Uh, and I think, like, you see it all the time. I think some teams can play it fairly disruptively, but um, you know, we were always a good uh man defensive team, fairly disruptive. Um, but maybe we didn't always have size. I also, uh, you know, over the years, when you're playing at a school our size, you know, uh, one of the things that I like about zone is that guys don't get in foul trouble as much, uh, you don't foul as much, so you know, I mean. I think every good coach wants to find ways to play their best players more. Um, And and that was certainly something that we considered too. So some of it, again, going back to that uniqueness. uh, And then um, over time, I can probably add more, you know, notches in the ledger of why we do it. You know, the foul trouble thing, like I mentioned, um, I think we're, uh, you know, what's, what's defense it's offense without the ball. Right. I think all of us would rather play offense. So we want to get the ball back. Uh, so I mentioned that disruptive uh, piece of it earlier, you know, we really, we want to to try to force turnovers and get easy baskets, we want to get the ball back, uh, especially in Michigan without a shot clock in high school, you know, sitting back and, you know, playing pack line just wouldn't really be for me uh, in Michigan high school basketball, you know, and grinding it out for a minute at a time on defense, it's just not... Uh, my personality but you know also I think as time has went on in terms of choosing it and and staying with it you know there's coaches that probably have you know 50 sets for man-to-man but they'll they'll only attack your zone one way uh, and maybe they'll go to a second way so we found that we have a you know uh, an easier time I guess if you could use that word adjusting we can adjust and again, to scout or whatever and, and make in-game adjustments very easily to how people are attacking it. Um, and you just don't see as many different looks, although now having played it for a while, I think I've, I, I would not be, <clears throat> I don't think you could surprise me now with a one-three-one offensive attack. I think we've pretty much seen it all, uh, you know, playing it for a while, but that's certainly an advantage is usually you don't see as many, um, you know, different types of attack against the zone as you do man. Um, we also really liked it. Honestly, I think a lot of coaches maybe have the uh, idea that in transition, their man defense is better. I found that our transition defense in zone is way better than it was in man. Uh, our guys are getting back and, uh, we're getting to spots and, and eliminating easy buckets. Uh, there's some natural rebounding position built into it. Um, you know, when you think about, um, when you think about guys getting to the weak side, the rim and the nail and things like that. However, you know, coaches can teach rebounding different ways, but there's some natural, you know, symmetry with good rebounding position built into it. Um, So, uh, and, uh, you know, I'll be honest, one of the things that I think I've kind of realized as time has gone on is we definitely spend time working on it. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, if I'm going into a game and I'm playing man and and there's a set team and, you know, even if you're switching everything, we have to talk about how we're guarding, you know, nine different actions, uh, zone isn't quite that way. So we can be disruptive and we can save some time and practice. And, you know, uh, you know, kind of getting back to kind of where you said your foundation is, you know, I'm, uh, I want to spend that practice time, you know, skill development, offensive development, building players, you know, so instead of, you know, maybe spending time on a shell drill, guarding nine different actions. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be working on shooting, dribbling, and passing, and and offensive skill development, and and getting better in those areas. So, I may have rambled on a, a little too long, Coach, but that's and that's probably not an all-encompassing list, but those are a lot of the reasons why we ultimately went zone, and uh, in particular, one-three-one with the disruptiveness and just the fact that you don't see it as much as some others.
0: Coach, that's some great stuff. You had a, I mean, that's a long list from being disruptive to easier to prepare for the opponent, more time from skill development. Uh, I think those are all great tidbits for, you know, what a coach can take away if they're thinking about running this type of defense. Can you break down? Yeah, it's tough because we're on a podcast, obviously, but for the right. coaches listening, can you break down some of the the dynamics, the actions of the one three one defense before we get into some real specifics?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can try to do that, I guess, by spot. Like you say, we don't have a, a whiteboard and a, and a marker here or, or fast draw or something to slide guys around. But, um, you know, and again, coaches can kind of play with maybe some of the slides in the zone depending on on their preferences and how they want to play it. But, you know, when you consider your top guys, some people call them a chaser. I've never been as good of a namer of, of positions and things. Some coaches are great with that branding. We just, we just call it top top, wings, middle, and baseline, um, but, you know, top, some people call call that the chaser. That person obviously wants to side the ball, uh, get it to a side, and they're, um, you know, for us, we, we, we don't want a lot of direct passes, so we're going to be in passing lanes, uh, so they definitely, if you got a two-guard front, you know, we want to try to uh, be disruptive there. Again, I'll probably use that word a lot, but not let, you know, get the ball out of the middle and then not let passes, you know, essentially any a two guard front, every pass up there is a reversal. So we want going to slow that down. Um, I'll just build the spine first here. Middle, middle is probably the easiest one to describe, stay between the ball and the basket. Um, you know, we can, we can take that, uh, you know, a little further down the road if we need to. Our baseline guy, um, you know, has responsibility uh, for the corner when the ball's on a side, he's on the ball side block. Obviously we don't, like any zone you don't want direct passes coming through into the paint you know uh into the interior so ball side block and then as the ball's moving uh that that guy's going to be responsible for the corner and then our wings have a tough job our wings are are uh, up and uh, they're responsible for the ball in that slot area um you know pressuring it um and uh Obviously when the balls away from them they have to make sure nobody gets behind them kind of weak side block responsibility um, they also have a lot of freedom though depending on the alignment to, to go get some skip passes and get steals and things like that as well uh, and we also want to try to be disruptive there when you when you think about slot to corner passes and quick reversals you know the corner is obviously a vulnerable spot uh, versus the one three one so we want to try to to not let a lot of you know, direct passes come from, from top to corner as much as we can.
0: So just thinking about a couple of things, if you have your, what you would call your top guy or your chaser up top, if they went into a two guard front now, as the basketball starts to get more towards the arc of the three point mm-hmm. line, how does that change your matchup at all within that defense?
1: Um, so in general, uh, you know, again, not knowing where other guys are, but obviously just like any defense, the ball is first. Um, we're, we're going to rely heavily on our wings at that point. We, we want the ball to go, uh, unlike, well, and I know, I know some man teams, um, you know, do like to force the ball middle, you know, now you have some people that are locked left and, and, you know, man philosophy is always changing. Um, but uh, for us, we, we do want the ball going middle, uh, again, because we want to be disruptive with passes. So our wing, you know, it's kind of, you know, your, your button back or to the baseline sideline corner. Uh, we, we can just call it butt to corner. You know, that's kind of stance positioning. But they're going to be responsible for pressuring the ball, especially as somebody gets like you described, coach, getting in shooting range, getting closer to the arc. Uh, now our top guy is, is, again, they, they probably have a passing lane to defend, but, you know, we also want to be very aggressive and, and, and active with our hands in terms of, you know, is that guy on a drive and we're going to, we're going to try to dig at it and, and, you know, essentially stunting in zone, stunting and digging, um, you know, to try to force an errant pass or a pass on the run or whatever. Um, but as it gets closer to the arc, maybe the simplest answer to your question is, yeah, that would be wing responsibility.
0: If they're in a, a four-out-one end, let's say they got both corners filled and both wing slot areas filled. Let's say the mm-hmm. basketball is on the on the right wing, and they that one inside player is maybe they're starting at the at the high post. Um, but if the basketball is on the right wing for this first example, and then maybe you can walk through a couple of rotations of you know if the ball went to a certain spot, how you would match up. But how would that look uh, w- with a matchup to start?
1: Okay. So the ball, just to be clear, when you say right wing, it's not in the, it's not below the foul line in the corner area. It's on the top more slot area. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, so if the ball's there and let's say, you know, and a lot of people, we'll call it, we just call it dice. You know, that's, that is the most common alignment we see. It would be that dice alignment. Right, that that's why I was asking.
0: And with so many teams yep. running like a four out one in and trying to spread, yep. I, I wanted to fire that one out at you. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. So the ball in that right slot, you know, again, our wing would be up pressuring our top, uh, our ball side, wing would be up pressuring. Uh, you know, we use the term bracket, you know, we want to bracket, uh, the ball with the top and the wing, um, the top obviously has that passing responsibility though. So trying to make sure it doesn't get reversed quick. Um, uh, again, the middle stays between uh, the ball and the basket. Now, if they have a, uh, if they have a, uh, you know, a high post, uh, you know, nail area, free throw line guy, that's, that's making himself available, depending on, um, you know, what they're trying to do from there, you know, we'll side deny that maybe we'll try to play on top of it, but ultimately our middle guy has got to stay between the ball and the basket and we'd prefer to to shove that middle catch out beyond the three-point line if at all possible. So he'll try to position himself to where nothing is direct, but obviously he can get between the ball and the basket. Um, weak side wing, again, just looking at that four-out one-in alignment, that means you probably got a, a weak side guy on the corner. Um, but, you know, that person obviously could try to sneak behind to the weak side block, to the weak side wing is kind of, uh, has his head on a swivel and is, is going to be responsible for any skip or, you know, if they would swing the ball to the other top guy, he's got to get in that kind of banana cut and get in that passing lane um, from top to corner. And then our baseline guy with the ball in the right slot, our baseline guy is on the ball side block. So he'd be on the right, right, well, left defensive block, right offensive block um, and would be ready, obviously, for as the ball moves to, to make the appropriate slide.
0: So that would could go if it goes from right wing, left wing, and then down to the left corner. Your your bottom man is he's on his horse.
1: Yep, yep, you bet. And obviously, we get screened a lot uh, doing that. So that guy usually, you know, that's why some people call that baseline spot the warrior maybe more guys would like it if I started calling it the warrior and not just baseline. That's where that marketing comes in. I probably should do that, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, our, we've had some really athletic guys that do a great job down there. The nice thing about defense in high school and, and offense can't like you kind of higher levels, the defense can run out of bounds. The offense can't. So, you know, we uh, that baseline guy is is definitely got to be a good enough athlete to get from corner to corner. Um, but that's where, you know, like all defenses, that's where you rely on your teammates because if everybody else is going to give up direct passes, I don't know that it's the baseline guy's fault that he can't get there. You know, that's a, that's a team uh, thing on our part.
0: What's the most important position you feel like out of those five spots?
1: Oh man, that's a tough question, coach. (laughs) Um, And if my players listen to this, they'll, you know, that's a really tough question. Um. Because they're, they're all, they're all really important. Uh, um, Honestly, it's like, I I hear a lot of coaches who, who have uh, played one through one, they, you know, they kind of talk about the spine, you know, that top middle baseline and and it is important. I would say probably the, probably the guys that have to do the most thinking and adjusting the way we play it are our wings. Um, You know, with when you when you add in rebounding responsibilities and needing to adjust uh, to the way teams attack it and make some decisions on the fly that aren't, I guess, if you will, more typical slides, they're they're probably guys that have to make more of those reads as compared to the spine, you know, Mm -hmm. um, of of the zone. So if I had to pick one, even though they're all important, I'd probably say the wing the way we play it and the way we want guys handling those responsibilities, the wing is the wings are probably um, the, maybe the most important or the toughest spots to play.
0: That's interesting. And it probably goes into what you're trying to emphasize with your team. You know, you talk a lot about the, the passing lanes. And so obviously if it comes to passing lanes, those wings are extremely important in being disruptive with the defense compared to the middle and the, the baseline defensive player, the warrior spots. Um, when we played, and as every defender is important, right? There's only five right. of them out there. They better be, you know, on the same page. But when we played right. the one through one in high school, I always felt like our baseline guy, we had about a six four, real athletic guy who ran the baseline for us. I always felt like it, I don't know if it was the most important, but he had the toughest job, I, I would say that right. for sure. I mean, he always had to be, you know, on his, you know, season cues more than anybody else. It seemed like, and he was the backline of defense. He had the eyes. So we had to talk more than everybody else. Cause he could see the most. Um, and then we ran a different variation of a one, three, one. When I was coaching in Ohio, I thought our middle guy was our most mm-hmm. important guy. And we actually put like our point guard slash shooting guard in that spot. And he, he was just kind of a, like a free safety in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we just, he, he probably averaged about four steals a game, which is kind of some different stuff that we we had him do. And that baseline warrior position was we, sh- we shifted everything so they didn't actually go out and guard the corners. They just kind of faked it and they became kind of a post defender when there was somebody down there. Occasionally they do some corner traps and, yeah. you know, it was kind of an easy spot, to be honest. Like his most important job was to communicate more yeah. than it was to play actually play defense was just communicate uh, which is yeah. you know just as important to play in defense as well so i was just just curious rebounding is really really important in any defense but especially when we're talking zone so what do you mm-hmm. go over with your guys to make sure that they're rebounding at a high level in the 131
1: well, you know, that's one of those things where, where again, uh, one of the things I like about it is the positioning. So, um, you know, I know a lot, of, again, you know, maybe it's almost a misconception too, you know, that when you're in zone, it's harder to rebound. I don't know if that's the case. I think when you're small, it's harder to rebound. And, and that, whether you're playing man or zone, um, you know, that's going to be a, a challenge for you regardless. But probably the main the, the main point of emphasis uh, that we emphasize is uh, t- to keep it simple. Rebound your zone. Um, you know, rebound your area of the court. Uh, you know, you're you're naturally positioned in a lot of good spots, and that's where your your top guy comes in because your top guy is your cleanup guy. He he basically is a guy. You know, um, and and when we've had big teams, that top guy uh, has probably enjoyed the fruits of many other guys' labors and getting some some runouts and opportunities to score easy. And it's certainly a good spot for that, but that guy's job defensively, you know, so that we can make sure we can secure the rebound is they are the cleanup guy. They're going to have a free run, uh, to the ball and they got to go, you know, a lot of times, you know, let's say a lot of, a lot of times your smallest wing is going to be, um, you know, on the right side. So if, even though most shots probably come from the right side of the court, let's say they reverse the ball to the left side. So your point guard who would be on the offense's right side, you know, that wing is, they're going to need to block somebody out on that weak side. You know, somebody's going to be crashing there. So that wing's got to block out and got to trust that if, you know, if your baseline or top guy uh, can't, or excuse me, your baseline or middle guy can't get it. uh, You know, your top guy has got to be the cleanup guy and come get it. So that person has probably the most area to cover rebounding wise, because we want them to go track things down. Um, everybody else just really trying to rebound their zone.
0: Is rebounding something more so that you emphasize or that you, you know, drill at different points in practice? Coach, thank you for listening to this episode. We hope that you are finding it beneficial. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for future episodes, please let me know. Contact at KramerBasketball.com, at Coach's Edge 1 on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. And if you'd like to support the Coach's Edge, the best way that you can do that is subscribe, rate, and review. Share our episode out with somebody else who may also find it beneficial. Thanks for listening. Back to the episode.
1: We definitely emphasize it more, more so than drill it. I don't think that, you know, I, I can honestly say I've had some teams where we've done, uh, especially when we were, um, these last few years, we've, we've definitely played almost entirely zone. Uh, some years we've, uh, when we've had some, some teams, we've switched it up and played uh, a little man and, and uh, some of our zone. Uh, and probably I've done more rebounding drills when I've, when I've thought about it from a man perspective, but I think either way, you know, in your, uh, um, you know, in your live play, whether you're playing a small sided game or, uh, or whether you're playing a five on five game, you know, maybe given extra points for, for rebounds or things like that, you know, a different kind of scoring rubric, um, emphasize it. Or just, uh, you know, probably the thing that we've been most effective with is, you know, I have good assistant coaches and one of them is going to, they're going to be when we're playing five on five, their point of emphasis is going to be rebounding. And if we're, if we're going ODO or five trips or or we're playing a four minute war and then we stop, you know, they're going to be, their focus is going to be coaching guys up, you know, making sure we're not having any, uh, any plays off rebounding because that's, And I think honestly, that's the, that's the best way. I mean, it's um, you know, doing a rebounding drill by itself in the zone. I don't know if it would be as productive as just figuring it out on the fly. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather Mm -hmm. learn that way through emphasis, I think.
0: No, that's good. That's good stuff. Let's talk ball pressure. Um, Obviously it's easy to imagine man-to-man what that ball pressure would look like, but what do you do for ball pressure um, compared to like, is that in the same line of, we want to be disruptive or with your defensive team, is it less about the ball pressure and more about disrupting the passing lanes? If that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, I, I think probably, uh, I think you can't be very, uh, disruptive in the passing lanes. If you're, Uh, if you're not applying some pressure on the ball, especially, you know, when the ball's on top, Uh, you know, so, you know, when you think about a guy, um, when you think about a guy being able to, you know, when we've had years where we're small, we've still, I I thought, played uh, defense really well in our zone. Um, But it's one of the things that's even more important when you don't have, you know, size and length is that, you got to have great pressure on that ball because if guys are comfortable up top uh, and able to see over the zone and and whatever, skipping it easily or, uh, you know, or just able to see the floor with not much, um, uh, I guess, tension or pressure being put on them, you know, uh, I think you have a rougher time. So I think it starts with us, um, you know, probably to about in, in high school, you know, we always have the volleyball line and stuff. So probably to about, volleyball line sometimes further depending on if we want to trap or apply a little more pressure and we do we don't automatically trap we'll have calls and things but I think it starts with ball pressure with our wing and top like we talk about bracketing it Uh, and then it kind of naturally flows from there you know when you pressure the ball well uh, especially when you bracket it well the top is is sort of um, organically put in a good position to disrupt that top to top pass Um, and then from there uh, obviously, we have to do a really good job in our slides and and being active and getting in passing lanes. But I think our wings pressuring the ball is where our defense needs to start.
0: So, for a coach trying to visualize the one-three-one, what are if you if you had your pick, what are some of the types of bodies that you would want to put in these positions? So, you know, some teams will put their longest guy in the bottom. Other ones want mm-hmm. their longest guy on the top. Um, yep. Some you know want that quick player in the in the middle. Others are putting their biggest player in the middle. What do you guys do?
1: Yeah, so we uh, I have found, and this is probably like you say, this it's it probably is a little bit of a preference for each coach and how they're playing it. Uh, I definitely like to have somebody with some length on top, uh, but somebody who's really good anticipating uh, can also be good up there. You know, we have. Uh, we've had some, some really long guys up there, though. You know, in in Frankenmuth, we've been pretty fortunate. We we generally don't get a lot of, uh, if you will, uh, prototypical big guys per se, uh, but we get a lot of guys um, over the years that are six one to six four, and and long. And that's probably another reason. When I mentioned those earlier, that's another reason we, you know, I, I went to this approach as I thought we could. Uh, we, we could plug guys into spots pretty easily with that kind of dynamic. So I probably would say I usually default to wanting somebody with more length on top um, just because I don't want the ball to change the side, uh to change sides of the floor uh, really easily. Um, I, uh, I like to have uh, my point guard on the offensive right side. So defensive left wing, mostly because generally speaking, um, you know, we, we, we play conceptually and pretty position this offensively, but um, if we, if we did have positions, it would probably be point guard uh, big and players and our point guard, you know, usually like when you think about point guards, a lot of the point guards I've had over the years, they have probably been our smartest guys, uh, really good anticipators. And when you think about most teams, probably um, I actually meant to chart it this off, off season, I should have, but so many teams bring it up, you know, the right side, like every single time down the floor. Um, so if you got good length on the top, you know, somebody who's smart, quick hands, um, you know, sees the floor well uh, from a defensive perspective, um, I, we usually find like our point guard is on that wing um, on the, on the left side of the floor. So the opposite wing, I would say, uh, you know, what I, What I have preferred is, again, another really good athlete with length that can not only rebound, um, you know, but also go get some skip passes. Since again, kind of like I I just said, you know, starting on the right side, you know, ball getting skipped to the left and and those sort of things. Um, Middle, uh, generally a good spot for a big guy. But, you know, we've had teams where we haven't put our biggest guys there because we need somebody there. Uh, that is going to be tough that's going to stop the ball level it off take a charge uh, you know whatever the case may be and then baseline it's kind of like you were describing you know baseline we've had all kinds of guys there. bottom line is they need to be tough we talked about important positions Um, they got to be tough and they got to be able to talk Um, just because we've had some guys there that have been smaller in, in in height maybe um and have done a great job. We've had some guys that have been longer there, uh, and have done a great job, but, uh, they need to be able to get corner to corner. Uh, so like when you talk about important, I agree, I agreed with your assessment. Important's a tough question to answer, but man, it's probably the most exhausting having to go baseline to baseline and and handle all that. And, you know, when you're in the back, you see everything. And so you got to kind of be directing traffic. Um, so a lot of guys can work down there. I think, the uh, I think the the size there can vary quite a bit. A lot of it's the, you know, the kids make up in terms of basketball IQ and toughness.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff. No, that all makes, that all makes perfect sense. I remember in, in high school, um, I would have been, you know, from the offensive side, I was the defender on the left wing. And I said one day to coach, I said, why am I on the left wing? The ball is hardly over here. Yeah. He you said, Steve, where's most of the rebounds coming from? I was like, yeah. oh yeah, over here. He's like, I need you to get all the rebounds. I was like, oh okay, yeah. it makes 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 more sense that he's got me over here. <laughs> yeah, you bet. You bet. <laughs> I didn't claim to be the smartest, uh, the the smartest <laughs> player out there, but I was coachable. So, um,
1: you bet.
0: When it comes to extending your defense, mm-hmm. trapping, uh, let, let's walk through a little bit of that. Let's say you're you're trying to perform a, a half court trap. What would that? Um, organically starts to look like as the opponents bring the basketball up to court.
1: Yeah. That's one thing we like about it too. I think you can easily trap, you know um, you know, and it's funny, you were talking about the way you played it in Ohio. We we've done, we've, you know, we've changed things based on, on scouting a, a lot over the years that, you know, I'm kind of describing our base, but obviously every team can be different. That kind of gets it a little bit of, you know, just adjusting for scouting and things, but Um. I would say if we were kind of, if we were just kind of in like base formation and and looking to trap, obviously you kind of, um, you you want them to, of course, cross half court, you know, but we're going to apply, uh, we're going to apply a lot of pressure with our top and our wing there to, you know, to secure a good trap. Um, and then, uh, now, again, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as you asked me that question, coach, I'm thinking of some teams and the way they've done it and the way we've had to move guys. But if they were in that four out alignment. You know, what we would need to do is we would need our our opposite wing uh, to take away uh, the reversal, uh, you know, the top to top reversal. Uh, we would need our. Um, our big man in the middle, uh, our middle position, to make sure we deny that middle pass, whether it's a diagonal or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and then our baseline guy is kind of playing free safety, right? So he obviously has to be able to cheat enough to get to the strong side corner. But if you got a good trap, it better be a lob pass for a skip, and and they got to be somebody that can go get that. So, you know, in a very simple alignment, and if we were if we were to get that look, that would. Uh, that would be the way we trap. We've, we've needed to do some things before, though, where some teams, you know, will bring it across half court and they'll they'll try to basically overload that sideline. So they'll slide a guy over to the sideline and then leave the guy in the corner. So they got three in a row. So, you know, then we're basically shifting with them and we're shoving our middle over to deny that first sideline pass and then our wing to the middle. And then, you know, we still got our uh, our baseline to, you know, to kind of be free safety. So, Um, you know, we've seen a lot of different looks, uh, but probably one of the things I like about it the most is we can be really disruptive and not necessarily have to, you know, quote unquote, press or trap, uh, you know, if we're bracketing it well, and we're being aggressive, um, a lot of times we found it works just the same. So we'll do it more situationally, uh, than anything so far.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. And that's how we actually ran our half court trap in, in Perrysburg was, once the ball got over half court, we were smashing that trap with with the wing in the top. That ball could absolutely not be reversed across the other side of the court. The ball could yeah. not go to the middle. And then yeah. our our bottom guy, I mean, he he had to be ready, but he's he's hunting ball side. And mm-hmm. if we gave anything up, it was just like you imagine that they had run one in the corner or they might bring that corner one up a little bit right so that makes it makes it a tough spot or they'd run another player through so it's three players in a line along the sideline but our big thing was we do not want the ball to go to the middle and we do not want the ball to be reversed and we're gonna if we're gonna keep it on one side of the court whether it's all the way down to the corner we're gonna come get you and uh, that works pretty well for us it sounds like that's what you guys are trying to do as well
1: Mm -hmm. you bet
0: what are some other things that teams will with anything else with, with the trap? What, what if you're in, you know, a basic like third or quarter court defense and you say, Hey, like they're kind of sloppy with the basketball or, or they're not the best ball handling team. What are some things that you'll throw at uh, the opponent when it comes to trapping?
1: Yeah, it's, that's a really good question because it's something we've talked about for a couple of years. We actually, um, we actually have only had to do it a handful of times. We've kind of had it as a more situationally, because again, I mean, you know, when I think of my, and, and it, you know, when you talk about trade-offs as a coach, when I think of my personality, you know, a pressing coach uh, and, and a coach that likes to extend it in the full court, you know, um, and, and it's something that I, I will gladly make fun of other coaches for if I need to, you know, like you, You've got to understand that your trade-offs are going to be – you're going to give up some layups sometimes, especially against good teams. You know When they figure it out, uh, they're going to throw it over you and you're going to be in scramble mode and, and they're going to get some easy baskets. My personality is I just don't like giving up easy baskets. I, I don't like giving up an uncontested layup. So we're only going to come into the full court if we need to because we've been so good uh, in the half court being disruptive. So we, we've half court trapped a lot. Uh, we very rarely full court trapped, but we've done, you know, we've kind of done some different things. It almost starts almost like a diamond, uh, you know, and then we kind of adjust from there, you know, because your, your wings in that case, you know, your top guy will be on the ball in the full court, let's say on the inbounder, your wings, um, you know, a lot of times in a diamond, right. Those guys will get on that, on that backcourt on those two backcourt elbows. Well, You know, they got to kind of make sure they don't get the ball thrown over them to get in, just like you'd think about like a diamond press. And then our middle guy has to make sure the lob doesn't get in either, uh, get over the top. Uh, And then we got our baseline guy. Sometimes maybe we'll slide that baseline guy up, you know, because maybe they have uh, two sideline runners or whatever. And then as the ball gets inbounded and we, you know, you you get a trap, let's say, we usually want to have them put it on the floor first. Uh, depending on the situation, but, uh, you know, any good trapping team, right. You don't want to trap them when they haven't used their dribble, um, you know, try to get them to go where you want them to go. uh, Once they put the ball on the floor, uh, you know, then we'll just kind of adjust like we talked about in the half court from there, you know, like let's not let it to the middle. Let's not, let's make sure we're, if if we're going to like bait the reversal, if anything, but make sure they don't complete it, um, you know, and then you got your guy in the back playing some free safety. So, We've only probably had to do that though, coach, honestly, you know, I can, I can think of maybe three or four games over the last couple of years, tops where we've Mm -hmm. extended that much. And we've played with it a little bit more in the summer um, with some success uh, just to, you know, again, summer ball to me is like a glorified practice, right? So sometimes you just put yourself in those situations. We've, uh, we did it quite a bit last summer playing in Flint league. uh, Well, not summer, 2019, Uh, playing in Flint league against some good teams just to kind of see how it looked. And, um, but again, uh, that's not going to be something that we generally uh, go to a ton unless I feel like we really need to, to maybe, you know, we want to speed up the game or like you say, maybe they're just a weaker ball handling team. We want to try to exploit that earlier. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. If there was a common trap, would it be more, you're doing your very, base type 131 one, and then you go get the corner and try to get the kick out or what would that look like in the, in the full court you saying coach no you're in that you're in your back in your base half court defense
1: yeah yeah it's you know um, we have uh, we some some years we've had a, a different call for top or corner trap you know sometimes we'll say hey we want to trap every you know we want to trap in the corner every time um, but I mean yeah the two if we're, if if we're not in a um, if we're not in a half court trap per se where we're trapping the timeline um, some teams we've even just given the flexibility with with a with a call um, you know to to just go get the corner maybe they maybe they catch it in a spot on the top as well where they you know they're hugging the sideline and making that reversal pass really long well you know, we want our guys to be able to understand that and, and make a call and trap it. So corners probably the easiest one and the most common. I say we're probably honestly better at trapping the tops than we are uh, than we are corners just in observing over the years. We I think we do a really nice job controlling the ball on the tops. The corners sometimes um, because usually if if teams are throwing it there, I what I find a lot is teams are teams are throwing it there to shoot it. Um, you know, what they try to do is reverse it or maybe get it to the middle a lot early on. And then when it does get there, a lot of times it's getting there to be shot. So, uh, we've, we've tended to try to trap tops unless we felt like somebody was trying to attack us from the corner. And then maybe we'll try to apply a little more pressure.
0: No, that's good stuff. And, you know, I think, you know, if I'm getting the basketball in the corner, I don't have the shot right away. You're coming to trap. If I'm quick pitching it up to the wing, that's a short pass. Now that can be Mm -hmm. a positive and negative that that defender has to be over there taking that pass away and they have a short amount of time to do it compared to what you guys are doing really well Is those top to top passes balls in the air a little bit longer there's more ground to cover you can make those reads, especially if you're practicing as much as you guys are. So you paint that picture it does make it does make sense. What are some things that teams do to try to distort the one three one.
1: Oh yeah, this is where this is where Coach Troshak's stuff comes in uh, because I think, like I said before, I think I've seen probably all of it. I one of the things that I saw uh, with some good some good league teams that have had some bigger guys. Uh, probably the first thing we started, you know, it was kind of like an evolution. You know, a lot of teams, um, you know, will start in that dice look, and then over time as we played it. Uh, probably the first thing I started seeing more of is is baseline runner action, right? So trying to screen the bottom more and uh, and get some baseline runner action. After that, uh, I, and I do remember it being kind of like the first, um, the first uh, sort of like huh, how do we how do we want to guard that was when people would go one four high versus it and and try to, you know, jab the ball into the elbows there, dive a guy, um, you know, slide guys, you know, to corner and wing and, and uh, the team that started doing that was big too. Um, And so we kind of had to figure out how we wanted to, to handle that, you know, since that time, we've seen a little bit of everything I've had people, you know, try to go three, two versus it, you know, just to maybe get the ball swung easier. Um, You know, some teams uh, just play two, three low and not even have a runner, but just you know just screen the baseline guy as he moves and and open up. Some teams try to go really skinny where they just plant the guys on the blocks uh, so that they can try to get a diagonal uh, over time and just let one guy kind of float on a side. Um, and you know some teams have gotten creative with sets uh, but I think for the most part, you know even then you're still talking about uh, maybe. When it comes to you know what they're actually doing, you're talking about uh, you know maybe three or four looks defensively that you have to account for. Overloading is another big one, um, and uh, um, you know so fortunately again with that being the, with that being the benefit and and kind of what we see, we we try to adjust to that and just kind of you know keeping our principles in mind, you know. Uh, try to stay as close to base as we can. You know, you mentioned your your one through one. I can think of some of the biggest adjustments we've had to make where we we did play a couple games a few years back where we were our baseline guy was not going to go to the corner. We were just gonna we were gonna like, okay, go ahead and try to tee it up out there. We're gonna push our wing down and we'll we'll force the baseline to drive it into our baseline guy, but we're not leaving the post because they had, you know, some huge kids and um and we've even done one year where the the kind of attack that we saw, we felt like, uh, and I have a, a coaching friend here who, who actually, when he plays it, he, I know he plays it this way, I think as his base, but uh, we actually saw a look where we felt like um, for one game, we felt like we were going to, going to yo-yo our baseline and our middle guy. So if the baseline guy went out to get the right corner as the ball moved, the middle guy would go get the left and the, Uh, and the baseline guy come back and trade him um so we've done some different things like that to adjust uh the one four high was i I remember that well though and maybe this is a better answer to your question i'm being kind of long-winded that was the first one that i saw that i was like huh you know this is uh this is different and that was probably four or five years ago now um when we first saw it and we had to you know we had to you know, after seeing what they were doing, we had to kind of talk through, all right, you know, this is how we want to handle this. So
0: so what did that, you know, if a team's starting out in a 1-4 high, you know, the basketball is high, and then it goes to, I'm assuming, one of the wings first, and then what would some of those actions be that you had to cover?
1: Yeah, I, well, I think what they do, you know, first and foremost, when, when they're in a 1-4 high, our top guys has got to get the ball out of the middle, and we can't let that let that point guard, you know, survey the floor and throw it wherever he wants from the middle. They got to get it on a side, uh, you know, because then when the ball is on a side, we can kind of move our chest pieces a little bit better than if it's in the middle of the floor. So, um, you know, if they were to get it on, the, let's say, the right side like usual, you know, obviously, then we can kind of take away the strong side elbow. Uh, we can pressure the ball to where you, you kind of have your normal top and, and wing situation. Um, and then we've done things where, uh, you know, for example, one of the things we liked versus one team that ran it because they were trying to dive a lot was we would just bring our baseline up because he can see everybody anyways. And, uh, and so we wouldn't have our, uh, our weak side wing could be a little bit of like, Hey, if it's a, if it's a sloppy pass to that weak side elbow or whatever, but our baseline would kind of try to just play behind it to not let it go direct and, and then our weak side wing could kind of read a pass and not have to worry about so much uh, middle coverage over on his side. So um, other times we have just played it with that weak side wing and let the baseline stay back a little bit, depending on what they were doing after that. Um, but I think most teams, when you go one, four high, somebody, somebody's diving, right? There's, there's a lot of, a, a lot of, uh, it's kind of like, you um, you know, like uh, you know, in man offense, false motion, right? There's a there's a lot of window dressing sometimes, but we have common endpoints, and so we really try to get our guys to think about common endpoints more so than maybe the window dressing at first. You know, stay stay with things at first, but you know we're going to end up. You know, what are the areas that we're trying that they're trying to get the ball and exploit? Let's let's keep that in mind once they move, and then we're kind of back into uh, back into kind of base slides and and just playing.
0: It makes perfect sense. Beginning with end in mind, you know, where do they want to end up more so than where are they actually starting? I think that's great information to relay to your players as they're, you know, seeing some unique sets like that one, one, four high with, with a one, three, one, that's good stuff. And, you know, you broke down a few of those, those things. I remember when we ran our one, three, one in Perrysburg, we invited the ball to go to the corner. um, But we weren't, we weren't trying to give up a corner 3 at all. We were just closing out from the wing. So our it was it was more of a zone oriented, really a zone oriented 131. One. So if yeah. our wing had the ball and then the ball goes corner, that was also the wing's responsibility to go guard that. But he's yeah. totally closing out from the side and yeah. that is a really hard 3-point shot to take because yes it is you know, you practice shooting on your own and then you practice shooting up with a contest. Where's that contest almost always coming from in practice coming from in front of you, right? That, that close out that hand. And we were running the, the high hands were coming from, you know, if you're in the the right corner, come from the left side of your head. I mean, that that messes with a, with a lot of players. And then they're seeing, okay, down in the short corner, that's where the five is, is waiting for you. And we, we just, push you and keep you down. And we got two defenders from the sideline and the baseline. We got two more defenders stared at you. And it was just, we invited it to go to the corner. If they did shoot a three, it was going to be a contested shot from the side of their face, which was tough. And then what we gave up the most was a one dribble mid-range corner pull-up which was a terrible shot for right. 99% of the kids. They almost always missed it. And we just get the rebound and, and go down. And um, it was so funny. Our, we, we would literally have our head coach, um, if, if the other team took, he would, he would, the ball would still be in the air. He would be cheering the defensive team while the ball was in the air, whether it missed or not, just when a player took that shot, because that was the right. whole goal. Like if you could pick a shot that the team took, it would be that corner one dribble mid-range pull-up. And it would happen uh, a lot of times, really good defense, defense for us. Um, yeah.
1: I would say, and I would, I would echo, you know, what he says. I mean, if you're, you know, in terms of, you know, what you're, you're willing to give up, I mean, you know, again, I think a lot of, you know, that, that's another, probably uh, in my mind, a misconception, you know, about zone, you know, and, and we're not talking about youth zone, you know, we're talking about varsity basketball here. Our, our philosophy is we start introducing it in high school, you know, 25% of the time. So maybe a quarter of the game on freshmen, 50% of the time on JV. Um, and then, you know, we do what we, we need to do on varsity, but in You know, up through youth and middle school, we really emphasize man just for athletic development and uh, and for offensive development purposes, you know. Um, But when you think about zone, I think a lot, you know, what you just said made me think like there's a lot of people that, you know, that will maybe go to zone for possession and they hit a three and the and the coach is pulling his hair out. But of course, you can get a three against man, too. And I've never seen a coach switch out a man to zone because a guy hits a three, you know, so, you know, so for us, we were just like you were describing, like we want to contest, we want to be disruptive and we want to co- contest and we are not going to, we're going to work our tails off to, to try to not give you catch and shoot threes. Um, what we do want to give you though, uh, and, or, you know, maybe what you'll think is a good shot is, is, you know, shooting on the move off the dribble in that mid range. And if a team wants to shoot those all day and, you know, we just can't stop them from hitting them, you know, Sometimes you just tip your cap, uh, you know, because those are the shots that we want to, you know, when you think about analytics and the kind of shots you want to give up, you don't want to give up layups, you don't want to give up catch and shoot threes, and you don't want guys sitting at the foul line all day. Um, And so that would, I would, you know, echo, uh, you know, your, your head coach in Perrysburg, his, his uh, sentiments about what we want, we would be cheering the same way for that kind of shot.
0: That's good stuff. And getting back to some of the, some of the things that teams try to do to distort your defense, just because they're doing some, some of those things going into the game, it already means that you're dictating those possessions. And that's what you want as a coach, right? Offensively and defensively, you want to dictate each possession. And if you, you go in knowing that you're dictating the possession that also goes into, well, who has to prepare more for who? If you're dictating, that means they have to do more preparation. And the more preparation that they have to have, again, shows how much that you're able to dictate each possession, forcing them to get out of what they normally run to to throw a, a scheme at you that they may not run. You know, if they're in your conference, maybe that's the only two games this season that, they're running something like that. And you're running right. that every single game. Well, who's going to be better at making all those reads and adjustments on the fly. You are because they're right. not on the fly for you. Right. Right. You've, yeah. you've seen it many times.
1: You bet. That is, you know, and that is spot on. I mean, that's, I remember, I think it was a Rick Patino quote, you know, and part of me, you know, moving in this direction, it's funny. Cause you know, you, you just, you learn so much more um, over the years as you coach just, and a lot, and a lot of times, honestly, from, failure or or getting further along just knowing more and then looking back and saying man you know uh but you know all that of course leads to you being a better coach but a lot of me getting to to the point of even running it is just getting past stubbornness because you know i felt like our man was really good and you know it's sort of like hey you know we're gonna play it um no matter what regardless and you know a lot of a lot of times you got to get past that stubbornness and that was one of the points right there that rick patino quote i started to allude to he's like he said he, I think he had something the effect of, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I've seen a ton of, co- uh, when somebody asked him about his matchup zone, he kind of said, what well, you just were pointing out there, you know, I've seen a lot of coaches with, uh, with a lot of, a lot of answers uh, for our man defense. I, I haven't seen as many coaches with as many answers for our matchup. Uh, you know, and I was, I thought about that as well. So, you know, again, you got to coach your personality. It definitely doesn't work, uh, for everybody and of course you know what works in programs what works is is commitment and sticking to it and not you know riding the wave of successes and failures and and changing things all the time you know like we're never going get, to get good at something um you know if we play it for three possessions and we don't like the outcome um you know and then we then we go and change it you know and I think uh and I think that's the reality of it I mean if coaches are comfortable in man and I know a lot of great coaches in our league that, that teach man incredibly well, you know, they should do that. Maybe that's not for them, but you know, certainly when people are considering anything for philosophy, um, you know, I think we, you have to understand that I think committing to it and teaching it well, uh, and not being so, not being so outcome focused at first is, uh, is really good. You know, I mean, if we do get torched one game and some team shoots the ball really well, Um, well, you know, one, you got to look at the whole game to see, hey, were we turning it over? Was it really our defense, you know, et cetera? Um, You know, it's a fluid game. But two, we're not just going to say, well, you know, this isn't for us and we're going to scrap it. You know, and I think uh, getting to that point has been has been good for us as well, because like you say, we we're committed and and uh, we're comfortable with it. And we're going to teach it, too. We're going to we're going to teach our guys how to play this thing, just like we're going to teach them. Uh, you know, our, our conceptual stuff on offense.
0: It if you're not committed to it, the players are going to be able to sniff that out and they're not going to believe in it either. So just right. the fact that you are committed to the defense, you've been there a while, so the proof is in the pudding as far as the results the defense works. The players are more likely to buy in, but I love that you haven't gone away from teaching those man-to-man concepts at the, at the younger levels, right? What did you say... You, you, you have your freshman team play like a quarter of the game zone and then at JV they can play half of the game zone. Can you talk about that a little bit? I think that's great stuff.
1: Yeah, I just I just feel, you know, I know in Europe, um, I don't know you played in Europe. I don't know how how much you would have been able to observe youth over there. But um, I, another one of the the programs I do for professional development is, is through uh, radius athletics, he calls the program ramp. And, and we have some guys that are familiar with it, Canada basketball, Europe, you know, they don't even allow zone defense until I think they say you 13 or 14, something like that, you know? So you think about that age, that's seventh, eighth grade, usually around eighth, maybe, maybe even more, maybe even closer to your freshman year. I think point being is, you know, there's so much of youth basketball where in my mind and especially in the U.S., uh, where, you know, um, basketball is so privatized and monetized early on, and, and it's about winning tournaments. Uh, you know, and if it's all about winning, uh, then yeah, throw it when kids are in third and fourth grade, throw them in a 2-3 zone, have every defender be below the elbow, and, you know, purely because kids can't shoot the ball from that deep, you're probably going to win a lot of games. Um, but over time, I just think, uh, that catches up uh, and hinders the development of players. Again, not only defensively, because in my mind, most coaches, when they do play zone at youth, it's because, you know, quite honestly, they they don't know how to teach defense, and it's easier to get kids to stay in the spot than it is to to teach them how to play defense. But I think in practice uh, and for kids to develop offensive skills um, man defense is better for kids, uh, to develop on both sides of the ball. Um, and so you, when you think about athletic development, which is really what you you want from guys, especially as they're younger, you know, then you can tweak some things when you get to higher levels. And so that's why we, you know, we want to play, you know, like I encourage all of our, um, all of our travel team coaches, you know, we got some great dads and I always try to meet with all of them every season, you know, I encourage all of them uh, to play man. Uh, You know, I I realize that probably there's going to be some game where they're going to really feel like, you know, whatever, one, two, two trapping. And, you know, maybe sometimes that's some of the fun in coaching for them, but just to do stuff. But I try to really emphasize like, Hey, you know, teach man, it's good for them offensively and defensively all the way up through uh, the public school side, where I, you know, sort of have responsibility for seventh and eighth grade, just thinking about development and then we'll start to teach you how to play our zone um you know your freshman year and we'll we'll ease into it and and the way we play it is not um you know we don't play it like maybe some coaches play the one three one so to just say to somebody hey yeah you know frankenmuth runs a one three one so you know you should just run a one three one well unless they've talked to us or you know kind of gotten the blueprint it's going to be way different anyways and it's a lot easier to teach them that when they're older and they have that foundation of man-to-man defense than the opposite where they're not used to you know, to having a dig down get in a stance, anticipate, work hard, help their teammate et cetera. So I just think it's better overall for your program that you don't just uh, you know start playing zone at a really young age.
0: I agree 100% and I when I was overseas I coached high, I actually coached high school basketball for two years. And uh, so seeing the development and the game over there, I learned a lot from the experience as a player and as a coach over there. And, you know, you're spot on, you know, you couldn't play zone defense. And even as I was coaching high school basketball, we still didn't see zone defense. We didn't go against zone defense. If there was any zone that we played against, it would have been like a half court or a full court press that went back into like a, a man to man, but Um, you know, I don't think we ever played in the two years that I was coaching. I don't think we ever played against like a, just a two, three zone, never happened. Um, And uh, you know, I think the results speak for themselves and a lot of the development of the international players that are, you know, continuing to to be have a lot of success at the highest levels of the game and also uh, at the college level in the NCAA Um, back to the one, three, one, a little bit. I want to touch on a Mm -hmm. couple more questions before I let you go. You talked in the beginning about the transition from uh, defense to offense. How does that help you? How does the one through one help you transition to the offensive side of the court?
1: Uh, Well, again, you know, for us, we, um, you know, we, uh, and this is, uh, this terminology I got, uh, he, he did a great job with that ramp program I mentioned, and it's definitely terminology I've adopted. You know, when you think about transition offense, you want, width and depth first player speed and ball speed. And so, you know, when you think about the, the kind of conceptual offense that we run as well, you know, obviously it depends on who gets the rebound, of course, but you know, you're, um, certainly your top can, uh, a lot of times can get ahead unless they're helping rebound, um, and can fill a corner. Your wings are already wide. Um, and, uh, a lot, you know, let's say for the majority of the time, let's say, you know, like the middle or the baseline is getting the rebound, you know, you can you pitch an outlet wide and you'll have a built-in trailer and the other guys are, you know, kind of running the sidelines and, and getting width and depth uh, that way. So I think there's some, I guess, some natural symmetry in terms of just, you know, good alignment and shape so we can arrive spaced uh, in the half court, you know, I think. Uh, we would, we're big on, on spacing concepts and um, we don't run plays on offense. So, you know, we, we have, a, have concepts that will layer, but um, you know, that I think just because of the positioning of the zone um, kind of lends itself nicely to arriving mm-hmm. uh, in that in that shape.
0: Yeah, it really does allow for easy transition down the court, the way, the way everyone is set up defensively. If you're running this defense, you have an experienced group, they've you know, been running it together for a handful of years. What are some of the extra things that you might tweak and add to the 1-3-1? One, one?
1: Uh, so, yeah, that's probably, that probably touches on some of the things we've already discussed. I mean, uh, again, I like to be really good at what we do. Um, so our, our base, uh, is is going to be we're going to need to be really really good at that uh, like the team I had last year smart group uh, you know they had we had some we have even more experience coming back this year hopefully but um, you know so then you start to give them some ability to call their own traps uh, maybe we'll half court trap a little bit more often and those are certainly the kind of teams um, that when the situation presents it you'd allow to get into the full court more because they kind of understand positioning. Uh, Beyond that, really, I wouldn't say there's uh, a whole lot else that I do coach just because um, I think there's, you know, when you give them some freedom to, you know, to maybe call their own traps, uh, that's certainly appreciated. But just because I think we're going to spend the majority of our time on being really good um, at our base and what we're good at. Um, So those are maybe just some small things that would answer that question.
0: No, that makes sense. And I think, you know, the two years that I was coaching in Perrysburg, we had one team that a little more inexperienced. So it was it was very much a base kind of one, three, one. Um, and then the other year we had, we had a player who was an all state quarterback and he ended up being a college baseball player. And he was also the leading scorer in our league. And he just, he played the, you know, essentially the safety position so well that mm-hmm. we we just ran a, a lot more traps that season. And we had him yep. in the middle of our one, three, one, because that's where a lot of teams are trying to attack. They're trying to, okay, we're, we're trapping all these different corners. Teams are trying to get it to the middle and, and who's in the middle while well, our best anticipator um, was there. So it wasn't really a tweak. It was just, okay, we had an experience at this one position specifically. So we're going to take, take advantage of it. Um, you how deep do you think you have to be on the bench to run a one, three, one effectively? Uh,
1: probably. Well, you know, and I think in high school, especially for the majority of high school coaches out there that are listening, that are like me that have multi-sport athletes, um, you know, and maybe, you know, sometimes, you know, and every year is a little bit different, but sometimes there's a, you know, maybe a significant difference between your first five to eight, uh, you know, versus thereafter. um, I think one of the keys is uh, being able to have guys that are versatile enough to play more than one spot Um, because I don't think it's like a football depth chart. You know what I mean? Like where you need, where you need like a sub for your top and a sub for each wing and a sub for, you know uh, I think you have to develop some athletes to be, you know, maybe they play the top and the weak side wing and they can play baseline we've been fortunate. We have a lot of guys um, that can play multiple spots. And so I would say, you know, it's probably maybe even an an answer that gets into more of my philosophy on what I'm most comfortable with, but I would say probably uh, eight. Uh, I think if you have versatile guys, uh, I think you can, I think you need, you can play eight. Now, you know, I have a team this year that I think will go deeper than that because we have seven returnees and, um, or nine, seven or nine, uh, nine returnees, excuse me, from last year's team, seven seniors. Um, and so we got guys with a lot of experience, a lot of good athletes. And, you know, those years were will, 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 will a little bit deeper. Maybe that's like you talked about, maybe you'll get into the full court more. And, but I think if you were just to look and say, hey, you know, I, I want to adopt this, and, you know, how many guys do I need? You know, I think eight, because I, I just do think, man, it's hard to play. I've watched some teams get by some years on six or seven, but you really got to think about how the whole game goes together uh, with that few guys. You know, if you're being really disruptive and the game's getting sped up and you're only playing six, seven guys, um, you know, that turns into a really long season. Uh, and, and of course, you know, that's the beauty of basketball, right? Is like when you think about your question like depth and the kind of defense you're playing, your offense has to go with it as well um, you know, uh, wouldn't make a lot of sense if you were a full court pressing team and then you were, you know, you were in the half court and you were sitting there running, you know, Notre Dame, Mike Bray burn offense back in the day or that sort of thing, you know? Um, so I think to play it and play it disruptively like we do and play it at least a, a decent pace, uh, would probably be eight guys.
0: No, that makes, that makes sense. Our, uh, our, one of our assistant coaches when I was in high school was like, if we could have like seven and a half guys, which is eight, right. <laughs> it's yeah. like, we're, we're good. Right. We're, we're, yeah. we're good. We'll have a, you know, a couple subs at these main positions. There's always going to be that eighth players, probably not going to play a ton of minutes anyway, you know, under 10 for sure. So we got about seven or eight guys. We're, we're good. We'll find two other people to practice. We're good enough with, <laughs> we'll just make it happen yeah. with, with eight. Uh, that'll be, close enough i take it from listening to to this hearing you speak you're not running this one three one to conserve energy or try to you know just just protect the basket right you're protecting but you're you're certainly not doing it to like like um i don't want to say pack line because the pack line can can be really aggressive on, on the ball as well but right certainly not trying to conserve energy by playing this defense
1: No. Well, and again, there's, you've probably just identified another zone misconception, which is like, you know, guys get to rest or something, uh, you know, because you're playing zone. And that may be true of some defenses, you know, if you're playing a packed in two, three, that's probably true. Um, But, you know, I think, you know, if you talk to our guys uh, there, they will very quickly tell you that, you know, it's not like it's, you know, we're, we're out there just kind of chilling so we can use all of our energy on offense. Uh, we definitely aren't, you know, just trying to say, hey, you know, throw it around a little bit and then we're going to hope we get a rebound. You know, we're definitely trying to dictate um, and we're definitely moving a lot of guys and uh, guys that are, are really active, you know, a zone probably because, um, you know, because you need to, uh, you know, be – kind of in your slides, anticipate and move on the flight of the ball, which obviously man defense would, you know, but when you think about it more with zone, you really got to be connected uh, moving on the flight of the ball and things like that. We want guys seeing the next playing and getting steals. And it's funny because I, I know sometimes you can really struggle with getting guys to see those things in man, because there's so much responsibility for your guy. It almost comes a little bit easier with zone but it as to your point it definitely expends energy. So we're not mm-hmm. we're not resting on that end of the ball for sure.
0: Awesome. Um, what are some of the common shots that end up being taken by the opponent that are really reflective of the defense you run?
1: Let's say corner corner threes, uh, corner three and and again, you know, that's a trade-off. You're going to give up those um, you're going to give up a few of those, you know, even given best efforts and everything, you know, there's, you know, the other team, they made varsity too. That's an expression that I like. And <laughs> like, they're going to get some shots there. Um, uh, some, some, some shots that will give up that I definitely, that will make me angry is when we do give up a slot three, because that's just, you know, we got to do a better job, uh, pressuring the ball and get them out of the scoring area in the slot three. But again, that's kind of another gap, right? in the zone, um, those are the two main ones, you know, to like what we talked about earlier. Um, if you want to drive and you get away with a dribble or two and shoot a pull up, um, we're going to contest it, but we're going to live with it. Uh, we really don't want to give up layups. You know, we don't want to give up deep penetration off the pass or dribble and we don't want to give up layups. Uh, so I think, you know, those two spots for threes, are the main are the main shots but again we want to work really hard at contesting those like crazy too and slowing ball reversal down so we have to so guys have to make decisions off the bounce
0: what is the thing that has hurt you the most well
1: you know is that's that's a great question because like isn't it you know when i think of like when we're talking about offenses and things that that work against 131 you know it's like you know what? What beats any defense, one through one or otherwise, really skilled players, right? Like players that can dribble and shoot and pass, and um, you know that's the that's really the answer uh, to handling any defense, man or zone. And I so I, I guess the way I'd answer that coach is, you know, like a really good breakdown guard uh, is a tough cover, <laughs> you know. But but again, when you think about how we're built and And I say, well, a really good breakdown guard is 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 really tough to cover in man and two, three, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you know. So, uh, you know, but yeah, I would say that's the kind of guy that's given us the most problems because they're going to find, they're going to find gaps and get in the teeth, and they're going to they're going to you know stop under control. They're going to make the right pass. They're going to they're going to finish and get to the foul line if we're not doing what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, again, I think they're going to do that regardless. So uh, we just got to do our best to limit those opportunities. But those, those, those guys that are kind of slithery, that, that are good with the ball, um, they're, they're tough covers sure. for sure.
0: Sure. No, that's a, it's a great point because, you know, players like that, they're going to be tough regardless of what defense you're running. And regardless of what defense you're in, if you're the one doing the chasing, you're the one doing the running around instead of dictating that possession you're Mm -hmm. going to be, you're going to be in trouble. Um, Totally agree. I was asking our, I asked our coach in Perrysburg the same question. And he said, you know, essentially the same thing. He said, you know, a high level point guard, who's, you know, probably going to play basketball at the college level somewhere (laughs) that can really break down the dribble. Um, But he would hurt us even more if we were in man to man, (laughs) because (laughs) we're in a one, three, one, we got, you know, our first players picking them up. And then we got our secondary, and you know, then we got our back line. So as much as he's hurting yeah. us off of our one, three, one, he'd do some serious damage if we weren't in it. And then one funny story, I said, who's, who's hurt you the most. And, you know, you've run the one, three, one for like 20 years. He's like, we are playing Findlay high school, which is really in the kind of the Northwest Ohio as you start to get down closer to Columbus. He's mm-hmm. like, and they had a, they had us, you know, six, five or so kid, and they just put him at the high post and he just picked us apart and we could not stop him. They would, they would throw it to the high post and he never made a mistake. Every pass in the corner, the baseline hurt us. He could score it from there. And, um, he's like, it turned out it was Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like that's so true. as he as he went to you know be an NFL Super Bowl champ, he's like so I don't really feel bad that uh that was the person who's torched my one-three-one defense the most yeah. was uh you know a <laughs> Hall of Fame NFL quarterback so yeah you bet yeah pretty good about like, that <laughs> that's a great story coach anything that we failed to talk about with the one-three-one
1: I don't think so, and nothing nothing that comes to mind. I think we hit a lot of the, you know, it was fun to get into some of the trade-offs and uh, and some of those sort of things, you know. Uh, and the last point we made is was a really good one too, just on, you know, uh, you mentioned the the Perry's Bird coach, and it sounds like he, you know, is a, a one-three-one expert as well, um, you know, and, and just committing to it for 20 years. I mean good players hurt you one way or the other. So for us, that's the way we would look at it as well as we got a little built-in help and things, but no, I think we hit a lot of the key points coach. I appreciate the time to, to chat about it.
0: I'll probably think of a handful of questions. Once we finish the podcast, I always, I always do. Um, <laughs> okay. But, but uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time this evening uh, to be on the, the podcast and, you know, good luck this season whenever it starts.
1: I appreciate it coach. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Coach's Edge podcast. Every time I do one of these, I'm better as a coach. I've learned more about the game of basketball. I love it. I hope you can say the same. Special thank you to Coach Donovan for spending the time to share his knowledge, his passion with myself and all of our listeners. And the best way, if you like the Coach's Edge, to support us is, especially if you listen on Apple Podcast to subscribe, rate, rate review and then share this episode out with somebody else. You can share it on social media. You can tag me at Edge one My personal Twitter account is at Steve21Kramer. That's all very beneficial as we continue to grow the Coaches Edge. Thanks again and get after it today.